a toxic person or a dangerous person doesn't have to exhibit all three of these things, but usually is a master of at least one of them. And the three things were a murderous spirit, a controlling nature, and a heart that loves to hate. Welcome to the All of Life Show. Hello, hello. I am one of your hosts, Stuart White, along with my wife, Alicia White. And we are here just bumping into things in my office. Yeah, I'm I'm great. Yeah, just my elbow. I don't need that. I got two of them. Um, And uh, we're really glad to have you guys here with us. And today we're going to get right into it. I think we, Oh no, we're not. Oh. I have a question for you. <laughs> oh, she's got it. She's always got a question. Go for uh, it. Well, first of all, we have eight days until we go to Maui here today, gone to Maui. <laughs> Technically nine, I think, but Oh, well, eight days till, eight till we go to Portland. Leave, yeah. Yeah. And on Tuesday, two days from tonight, um, we've got the photographer coming to our house to take pictures of our house because we're going to put it on the market. Oh, yeah. And our house is 0% clean right now. Mm. And tomorrow is President's Day. When we post this, it will be President's Day. Yeah. Which means you have a very important choice to make. Would you like to deep clean the kitchen or all of the bathrooms? Mm. What was the middle one? There was, there was not, there <laughs> were two choices, honey. Um, I'm going to go with the middle one. Babe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think you're about to do both. uh, I'm going to leave you hanging until the next episode and then I'll answer that. No, I'll probably do the kitchen. That's I'm good at kitchens. Okay. Um, If you guys have ever tried to get anything ready when you have three small children and uh, the, the person that invented the term effort in futility was a stay at home mom. Yeah, I think you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it could have been a stay-at-home dad too. Any stay-at-home parent. In the interest of equality, it could yeah. have been anyone. Yeah, it really. could have, could have. So yeah, we we've been dealing with like mostly focusing on trying to get stuff prepped and ready, and we'll get an area clean, and then we will come back and find that the kitchen is destroyed. <laughs> or um, funny, funny story. My <laughs> tonight before our uh, recording, uh, I come out to Alicia and I go. There's literally poop on my chair. (laughs) Brother had like. Yeah. Our three-year-old son, he's potty trained technically, but not uh, proficient enough in it yet to be reliable. So apparently he had sat in my chair. um, (laughs) Left his mark. That's where we leave that. Yeah. Yeah. Left his mark on the world. So. So Um, with that, we're going to talk about toxic people. Yeah. So actually, yeah, great transition, babe. Um, We are finally ready to give our review and just a kind of quick synopsis of Gary Thomas's book, When to Walk Away, uh, Finding Freedom from Toxic People. I think this was episode three, three, I think, yeah, yeah. where we had not read the book yet. We were talking about um, just some things that we were going through and um, a a friend of ours and then a neighbor um, lent us this book and it has been, we've read it over the last few weeks over and over and um, we got the Kindle version. We got the audio, the audible version. We have the hard copy version. Yeah. That's, it's great. I like to do that because then I'm like, I'll listen during the day 
And then I'll go back and reread like a few chapters that I really remember. And then I'll go back sometimes and re-listen to those sections. I mean, we finished it and then I restarted it again. So, um, you know, up front, we'll just give the spoiler alert, I guess. We really liked it. It It's a fantastic book. Like yeah. we, we're going to talk more about it. But uh, if if you at all have any anything in your life where you're just like, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm, I'm dealing with something difficult and you, you, you feel like the only answer is to uh, just suffer like a really good Christian. Um, I would recommend get this book because I, f- I, I feel, I believe that God has given Gary some amazing insights in how you can handle things. And, uh, and it's not, you know, I would say years ago, maybe I would have heard of a book with this title and judged it by its cover mm-hmm. and thought, oh yeah, this is going to be some woo woo Christian, you know, spirituality thing where it's not rooted in, in scripture or the gospel or anything. That is not the case. Like Gary Thomas uh, does an amazing job. And if you've read any of his marriage books, uh, those are excellent as well. And this is no exception. So uh, jumping right into it though, again, the title, when to walk away, finding freedom from toxic people. That is intriguing in and of itself. Right. Uh, And as a Christian, Kind of as I mentioned before, I myself, I think I suffered from kind of this belief that a good Christian, if you're if you're getting persecution, then you must be doing something right. And it doesn't matter if that persecution is for anything to do with the gospel. If you're suffering at all, it must be because you're a Christian. If you're having a hard time with somebody or you're being poorly treated, that is, you're just going to assume that that's because, oh, it must be spiritual warfare. And it could be, and it, and it still could be, and also not anything to do with you being a Christian. Sometimes you are dealing with people who are simply toxic. And he goes in the book and he does a really good job defining it um, because I, I've been personally very fascinated with some of the stuff in psychology, uh, like... Um, personality disorders and things like that. Some would be like, they would call them the quote unquote cluster B personality disorders. And uh, those would be borderline personality. And then the next step up would be like a narcissistic personality. And then you might have something, they might separate that up into a few categories and then kind of like the extreme narcissist. And then you get into like more of the sociopath or psychopath, like really far end where it's a real problem. Like they're, they're all problems throughout and it just sort of gets worse. But while he does kind of talk about those things in the book, there's only about, I would say maybe three or four times, even the word narcissist is used um, or narcissistic. So he's not primarily, and I'm guessing at this, but I think he's not primarily trying to target just narcissists. And I, I, I'm guessing the reason is because a toxic person doesn't necessarily have to be a narcissist. They may simply just be toxic. Now, he talks about in the book, the three markers of a toxic person. Um, and he says a, a, a toxic person or a dangerous person can exhibit, um, it doesn't have to exhibit all three of these things, but usually is a master of at least one of them. And the three things were a murderous spirit, 
um, a controlling nature and a heart that loves to hate. So maybe you, you can like kind of touch on those. Yeah. Um, yeah. The first one, he goes into the murderous spirit and he's not necessarily saying actual murderers, though. I'm sure that would be something that you could say any murderer is a toxic person, but (laughs) officially, yeah, officially you've, you've really made it clear. Um, but he, he goes in and talks about how um, a murderous spirit can be somebody they, they go through and they, they murder ministries, they murder relationships, they murder um, family gatherings. So if you think about this, we all probably have people in our lives who they, they aren't just difficult people. He stresses this too. He's like, toxic people aren't just difficult people, stubborn people. He's, he's like saying they are literally people who they have these three, one, at least one of these three things going on all the time. And one is this murderous spirit. And in the book, he talks about this story about a girl who, um, she was in college and she and a friend were roommates. And at the last minute, this other girl gets added as a roommate. And he says, I like the way he puts it, but this other girl who was added at the last minute she had to have a beef with somebody just to get out of bed. And it very quickly became apparent to the two girls that this girl, there was something not right, but she was constantly complaining, constantly belittling and berating. If they, for instance, like forgot to invite her somewhere or didn't get her something, but got themselves something, it was, it would be an hour of her trying to comfort her and get her to, you know, accept their apology instead of like a reasonable person would be like, no, no, no big deal. Like you weren't trying to hurt me. You weren't trying to do something wrong to me. But in this case, this girl was doing this and it actually got to the point where the girl, uh, the two girls, um, in it, the main girl, her physical health, she, she couldn't get out of bed. She started like having major anxiety and major anxiety, major depression. She said, it says that she would, the, the toxic girl would end up fighting with her about something or complaining about something and then running next door to the, the girls in the dorm one room over and then complaining to them and letting them hear how terrible this other girl was. It kind of goes along with the murderous spirit that she had. Like if, if the, if she couldn't get what she wanted from the people in her life, then she would go around trying to turn other people against that person. Yeah. And so the murderous spirit in this situation is her saying, I am, you're not being for me what I want you to be. So I will destroy you. I may not murder you physically, but I will destroy relationships. I will speak ill of you. Um, and he gave a few different examples in the book. Yeah. Yeah. But chances are, if you're hearing that at all, and you've experienced anything like that, you probably have something that, that comes to mind. The second thing about controlling nature, I think that one was the one that hit me the most. He talked about a situation where a husband um, and a wife, very well known in their church, served in their church for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Husband is super charismatic. Everyone loves him. Um, But he had been, he had been unfaithful and um, had convinced the wife that he um, to forgive him. And she did, and they moved on. But anytime she sensed him kind of straying, she would uh, lovingly confront him. And his reply would be, um, 
why clearly you haven't forgiven me. Why haven't you forgiven me? If you had forgiven me, you wouldn't be bringing this up. Um, basically not allowing her to keep him accountable in those ways, but then also um, shaming her and guilting her into confronting things that she saw in his life. And uh, it was becoming clear to her that he had no interest in actually staying faithful. She suspected an inappropriate relationship with his secretary at work, but he had convinced her that she was the crazy one. So she didn't bring this up as she was sorting through this, she didn't bring this up to church leadership or any friend groups, um, just in the interest of not wanting to, um, speak too soon. And over this time he had gone to church leadership. Um, he had become an elder at the church. He had begun to, in essence, poison the well of church leadership at their church that they had been involved in, in a very long, for a very long time and said, I'm really concerned about my wife. I, um, I believe that she's exhibiting um, mental health yeah. issues and and um, basically laid out the groundwork for the church to support him in the divorce and then to then support him remarrying yeah. this. Yeah. So like he controlled that entire situation to work in his favor. Yeah, it was an, like the story is probably one of the more like all the stories and examples he uses are typically not good, not like terrible, but this is probably one of the sickest I would say, because this guy, the way that he treated his wife, the the manipulative stuff that he did to her um, and the way that he, not just to her, but he got everybody fooled. He went back and behind her back and turned people against her just so that he could be 10 steps ahead and get away with and get away with his sin and, and maintain power. And, um, this, that, that one, that one story that stuck out to me, uh, immensely because there was a quote and Alicia actually highlighted it. Um, but it was this one here. It's, he says, this is my favorite quote of the whole book. We are decidedly not God. So humans attempting to control other humans is a blasphemous assumption of authority and worship that should be directed only to God. I mean, whoa, drop the mic, you know, walk away. That's, that is an intense quote. And yeah, we are not God. And yet when we try to control other people, when we use manipulation and shame, and in this case, very, very evil tactics, like this wasn't just manipulation this was triangulation and um gaslighting and you know all, all these different things if you're not familiar with gaslighting that's a term often used in like the narcissistic type of research but uh and and it involves making people doubt their perception of reality this is what this guy did to his wife constantly making her doubt what she saw what was very real very apparent in front of her and I think in the, in the narcissistic, like secular world, they use the terms like doubt your reality, um, which I've never really liked that because it's like, no, what they're really doing is they're making you doubt the truth. You, they are absolutely taking the truth and they're saying, yeah, that truth that you think you see, I'm going to convince you that two plus two is five. And in doing that, I'm going to convince you that your belief of two plus two being four makes you 
crazy. And part of how I'm going to do that is go around to your sphere of influence and convince all of them that two plus two is five Yeah. so that you don't have a leg to stand on. You don't have a support system. Yeah. Not only do you think you're crazy, but everyone else <laughs> thinks yeah. you're crazy too. Yeah. Um, and so it's a, it's a very evil tactic, very manipulative. So this would be the second point that he has that they are control seekers or control mongers. And then the last point was a heart that loves to hate. And an example of that would just be someone who you can tell is gets pure joy out of having strife with someone. If you have someone in your life who you are noticing like, oh my goodness, they are always having issues with other people like that person that you mentioned, babe, um, the girl in the dorm room, mm -hmm. she, she had to have a beef with someone just to get out of bed. Do you have a person in your life like that? Yeah. Um, that, you know, were, were you asking me specifically? Oh, no, I wasn't. I was asking, asking I was asking our friends, our friends on the other end. <laughs> I mean, the, you the can answer unless it's me. End. Don't answer if it's me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, if, if you have that person in your life where it's sort of like that story, yeah, the needing to have a beef with somebody, but even that he, I think he goes even a little further than that. Like, yeah, that will come with that murderous spirit and they probably go hand in hand even better than the controlling person. But that person who just loves to hate, they, they, they love hate itself. They are looking for something to hate somebody to shame. They, they just can't resist the, the opportunity to do, um, something hateful. So, uh, he actually gives this quote in the book too, uh, from Dan Allender and Trimper Longman the third, uh, and they use the word evil instead of toxic, he says, but he says they're basically discuss, uh, discussing the same thing. And he says, they say evil is devoid of conscience. It lacks moral boundaries. Right is whatever it desires. A seared conscience does not respond with mercy to a cry for help, nor is it stopped by the threat of shame, which, so that's something very interesting to me. And going back to this like idea of some of these cluster B personalities or whatever you want to call them, the narcissistic personality disorder, they, the, the way that psychology addresses that is they say, usually the narcissist is somebody who at the very core, they have deep rooted shame and they are not able to deal with that shame because they were probably shamed a ton as a child or something like that, or made to feel inferior or weak if they were ever vulnerable. So what they do instead, it's sort of that as God is my witness, I will not go, you know, hungry again or whatever it is. You know, I, as God is my witness, I will never be vulnerable again. So in their way of controlling that is by making everyone else vulnerable to them. So, that is kind of one of these things too with this person with they they love hate you wouldn't kind of tie that together necessarily right away but what it is is they love to use hateful tactics to cause shame and it it's really projection they project the darkness that is filling their soul on you and blame you for the evil that they are actually perpetrating um and it, it's, it's heartbreaking because I've, I've been wanting to do this and maybe we'll actually do a, a whole show on like narcissism and uh, what it is. And I, I appreciate, again, I know we've quoted him 
uh, a, a few times, but, uh, uh, well, there's a few guys, but I won't, I won't state any names. Um, the, the thing that a lot of the Christian counseling community and others will say about if they're more open to some of these secular, um, things is they will acknowledge that what they are very good at often is describing and acknowledging the pathology and, and the condition, you know, what they're not always great at is the solution. So in that, I think that I've been wrestling over this a lot lately thinking, what is the gospel for the narcissist? What is the gospel for that person who essentially that toxic person and hearing that what they have is this heart that is just filled with shame and fear that they are so afraid will be exposed. And what do they do? But they go around and shame and abuse and manipulate. They're passive aggressive. They give the silent treatment, these kinds of things that are very narcissistic traits. And at the core, if you can see that person and go, they're still that scared child in some way that was browbeaten into that. And not all narcissists or, you know, toxic people are that way because they were abused. Some, they say, are that way because they were praised by their parents to think that they were perfect and basically spoiled rotten. But it sounds to me like the majority that they end up hearing from or, or hearing about, they've probably had some sort of tragic childhood, tragic events, you know, um, physical abuse, emotional, verbal abuse, those kinds of things, great deals of shame put on them. In church this morning, um, we, we were kind of wondering if we were going to go or not because we had so much to do, but we've been working really hard and, um, we didn't go to church or the kids didn't go to church last week cause they were sick. So we were like, you know what, we're just going to go. And we got there and the message was, um, in Romans 12, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was verse nine through something or other. Yeah. Romans 12, nine through uh, 21 to the end of the chapter there. And it honestly could not have been more perfect to meet us where we're at right now. Um, it was very encouraging and um, refreshing and also convicting. And, but at the end of the message, um, one of the things that we talked about was just how, um, the scripture, babe, can you read the one we've talked about it so much, but as far being at peace with all men. Yeah. Um, he says, uh, it's in, um, let's see, what is it? Verse 17. Yeah. We'll start there. Verse 17 of Romans 12, uh, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all. And I loved that. If, if possible, as far as it be with you. Um, and I've just thought about that for our own situation and, and have just thought, you know what, in our situation, we have tried everything possible as far as it is with us. And we've tried it in love and, um, and that's all we can do. And then at that point, what Gary Thomas is saying in this book, when to walk away. Um, and this is the part that I loved so much is his question throughout a good portion of this is, um, is kind of basically asking yourself, is this relationship that you have 
in your life helping or hurting the mission that the Lord has called you to. And you could, you could pour all of your time and energy into this one relationship. And, oh, what is that law? The law of diminishing returns. Mm. If you guys know the law of diminishing returns, it's, it basically says that you can pour all, you can pour all your time and energy into something you could, but at, at one point, um, no amount of extra effort, it won't return the, the result that it would below that point or up to that point. So an example would be like in photography, when I used to have my photography studio, I could edit a picture for 15 minutes. I'm still only going to sell a a 16 by 20 canvas of that, or I could spend two hours editing it. I'm still only going to sell a 16 by 20 canvas of that. So in essence, that that all above 15 minutes was all a waste of my time. Mm-hmm. And so the Lord has called us to a mission and there are relationships. Gary Thomas talks about in the book, how um, you won't be able to reach or influence everyone you meet in your life. It's impossible. It's just like, you can't adopt every orphan on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different people meant to reach different people. And so if you have a relationship in your life that is simply Um, not working and that is distracting you from your mission, it is okay to walk away. And Gary Thomas actually talks about in this book, 41 instances um, where Jesus walked away from people. Mm -hmm. Um, He wasn't being unloving or begrudging or bitter, but he, they were distracting him from the mission that he came to do. Yeah. He either walked away or let them walk away. And some of those may have been a double, um, you know, it's probably more like a couple dozen, like 24, but in the chapter, in the four gospels, it, it's 41 times that it's mentioned. Total. And there wasn't even always conflict yeah. in those situations. Yeah. He, he stresses that too, where it's like, there wasn't conflict necessarily. However, he had his next thing on his mission from his father that he was supposed to do. And uh, another thing too, I, I should point this out and Gary stresses this in the book he, he says, I would be horrified, something along those lines, heartbroken, if, heartbroken yeah, to find out that people were using this book to hurt people and to name call and to just label them instead of um, protect their mission. He's, his, his main focus in the book is not so that you can read this book and then go, oh, I'm going to go out and find every toxic person and then I'm going to expose them for what they are. And yes, that's not it. He's saying you need to know this so that you can be essentially, he's saying wise and, and discerning in the way that you approach people and know when you're dealing with somebody, if it, if there are certain characteristics and traits and all of a sudden you find yourself being taken off of mission. Like I think a really simple way of putting it would be if suddenly I had someone come into my life and my first mission is to my family and they begin to pry me away from everything that I need to be doing in my responsibilities to my family. And then even say my job and other things. Suddenly that person you could say technically has become at the very least distracting, but you could say toxic in this particular instance. He gave a really good example in the section that talks about, um, toxic children. He kind of goes through toxic marriages, toxic, um, working relationships, toxic children. And in this section, he talked about, um, situations and this happens so often where let's say, um, parents have 
three children, two very healthy children and one child that despite all of their efforts is just um, a very difficult child. And so often they will pour all of their time and energy. We've seen it happen. Yes, into, and even into adult years, into saving, quote unquote, saving this um, destructive, disruptive child. And none of their energy goes towards yeah. pouring into and loving so the it's, two it's healthy children. So it's a double wound that this destructive child has caused both to his parents and also the siblings face the after effects of what this this child has done. They end up not having anything poured into. And it's that's so sad. It's so heartbreaking when that happens. And a perfect example of what it looks like when you're distracted from the mission that God gave you. Yeah. And it sounds at first maybe, oh, that's callous. That How could you say that? That's not very Christian. And then if you go and you realize even Jesus... Um, for example, I think he uses this in the book, if I recall, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and you wouldn't even say he was a toxic person. No. But when Jesus, at, uh, when he asked Jesus, what should I do? What do I need to do to be saved? He got to the heart of the matter and he says, go and sell all you have and, and, um, come and follow me. And, and he's like, he went away sad because he had much wealth, you know? And, you don't see Jesus at that point. He says, chasing after him going, okay, okay, hold on. Uh, just sell 50%, 25, you know, we're, we're just trying to get I the ministry you, off the ground. If you do, it'll be worth it. Yeah. Yeah. We're just, we got to, we're trying to build up membership and, and uh, get a little money in the coffers here. No, he, he lets him go. And even in some instances like that, there are times where we have to let that person go. And uh, again, I go back to what I said earlier. I, before this book and and even experiences that we've had had this thought of I have failed in some way if I have not preached the gospel adequately to this person and if I could just get a second chance if I could just get another audition you know that I would you know the only acceptable result is that over time this relationship or friendship or whatever it is is they meet and know Jesus. That is ideal. Yes. But there's a quote, uh, from, I believe it's the Puritans, but it's the, they said the same light that hardens the clay melts the wax. And I actually, I really have thought about that a lot, how the gospel going forth is a double-edged sword, right? It to the heart that is soft, or if it's that wax heart, it melts it right to the heart that is hard. It hardens it further. So when we're preaching, we need to have kind of this awareness of I'm preaching and declaring this. My responsibility is in preaching and declaring who God is and the gospel, uh, the good news of that. But to some people, it will be death. It talks about that in Second Corinthians. It talks about, you know, to, to those who are coming to new life, it is the, the aroma of life, you know, but to those who are rejecting it, it is the stench of death. It is it is rejection. They don't want it. They don't want anything to do with it. It's a beautiful thing that God has given us a gift to be involved in, in on mission for him and spreading the gospel without having to have any pressure in and of ourselves to do it the right way. <laughs> if we share the truth of the gospel, the words and the truth in and of itself, like the Lord is responsible for their salvation. You are not, I am not. 
And so all we are called to do is share the truth. If the person walks away or if it's time to, for you to walk away because they have no interest, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to that idea of the narcissist, um, what is the gospel to the narcissist? Uh, you know, in scripture, when it talks about in the last days, men will be lovers of self. They will be boastful, proud. They will um, be dishonoring, disrespectful to parents. And, you know, everybody reads that verse in every generation and goes, oh my gosh, that's our generation. And, and I'm sure it is. And I'm sure it is only getting worse. Yet in the last days, the last days really kind of, you could say, technically are everything after Christ's resurrection and, and moving on in the church. And, you know, depending on how you, what camp you fall into on eschatology, but regardless of that, there have always been those things going on and they have always gotten worse. But um, there was real quick, there was a study that I heard about that they did it started in the eighties where they were studying narcissism and tendencies and traits in people. And I guess in the eighties, it wasn't really all that bad. Like maybe they could say whatever, I'm just throwing the numbers out like 5% of the population. And then they did this study for 30 years. And later on they, in, you know, the millennial generation, they got to that point and they began to study and the numbers were through the roof with the characteristics and traits of severe narcissism. And that to me was very interesting. And they, the person I heard citing this study said, you know, there's all kinds of ideas. If it's the participation trophy culture, if it's the, um, you know, never really parenting, being their buddy and not actually disciplining them. I think all those things have a part in it. And I think ultimately you have an enemy of your soul who wants to see the image of God destroyed and what better way to destroy it than from the inside out. And what I was going to get to earlier was narcissism itself is somebody who is deeply shamed. And where do we first see that shame coming in, in scripture, but we see it in the garden, we see it in Adam and Eve. And what was their solution to their shame? They sew up fig leaves to cover their own shame. And essentially what I think you see with these types of people is fig leaves still they find something that they're like, eh, it, whatever, it, it gets the job done. It's, it's like that car that's falling apart and they're like, well, give me the duct tape or whatever it is. It's like, well, that's not really going to last. It gets the job done. It's literally the car is like not safe. Your dirty mechanic accent is really good. Babe. I know I've, I've been working on it. Um, <laughs> and so at the core of these things, of these people is what we all have. And I think it's like, we want to look at them and go, oh, they're the toxic, they're the bad people, but we could all go there. But for the grace of God, there go I, you know, mm -hmm. instead like having that heart of compassion, but also being able to recognize that I am not God. I cannot do everything to as God can. And if I pour all this energy into this person after it has become quite apparent that they have heard the gospel or you have you have not even been allowed to get that out. You have tried to love them. You've tried to be reasonable, but instead as you're coming away, you're going, I, I am losing my mind. I don't know who I am. I am completely un, unsure of anything anymore. That is a sure sign of abuse of toxic abuse. Uh, and if you have been suffering under shame, under guilt, 
uh, under passive aggressive actions, under overt aggressive actions, um, it is very likely that you are suffering under that toxic person. And, you know, kind of wrapping things up here, the gospel to that toxic person is so important. And if you're listening to this and by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart and you are hearing that and going, oh man, that like, I feel like somebody just ripped open my soul and exposed the shame. And your natural tendency is to go, I will destroy you. (laughs) I will end you. I will make sure that you never get that message out that it's like, I'm not talking about anyone in particular. I'm, I'm literally, we're talking about the book. Mm -hmm. We're talking about these types of things that go on, but it's tragic when it's a non-Christian. And I would say even more so when it is a Christian, because that Christian is the one who are covering just like Adam and Eve, God made the covering. He, killed probably a lamb and he made coverings for them because their fig leaves were inferior, greatly inferior to cover their shame. God covered their shame. And it was a, it was an arrow pointing forward to the the gospel to that Jesus Christ would one day be the one who covers our shame, who takes on our sin, our guilt. And a Christian who knows this and is growing in it is free to be vulnerable, to be real, and to be honest, obviously with other trustworthy Christians and with people who, as they're sharing their faith, and it is appropriate, they can be honest with their testimony and their story. When somebody is unaware that their covering is in Christ, they are going to have signs of fig leaf coverings, and it's going to be, it's going to fall so short and when you begin to hit the nerve, when you begin to you begin to point out that, hey, your fig leaves are drying and they're, they're cracking and falling off, you will know because they will do everything to protect the ruse of the fig leaves. If you're a person who is listening to this and you've been hurt by a toxic person or, um, I don't know, just or are in the middle of a relationship like that, I just want to encourage you not to carry the guilt or shame of not being the one who has been able to reach their heart because that's not your job. You're you are not to, Jesus. No. You, you, you tell them about Jesus. Christ but. and Christ alone can reach their heart and that is not your responsibility. So release yourself from that. And if you get a chance to pick up this book, something that we're not going to have time to talk about today, um, but I think is such a valuable part of the book is how um, just some practical applicable ways of not becoming a toxic person yourself when you are, um, when you are involved in a toxic type of relationship. And I think that's so very important. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the scripture of like when you are going to someone to confront them in sin, you know, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Kind of you, you are making sure to look to yourself because you know, I am just as much vulnerable as uh, to temptation and sin. And often I think people hear that and they think temptation is always sexual temptation or something like that. And it's like, no, you could be vulnerable to pride to arrogance, to thinking you are not vulnerable to the same type of sin. And you can almost guarantee if you come at somebody with a a way of 
attacking their sin that comes from a place of, and I would never do that. You are going to fail in that because you are not coming to them in the humility and love of the gospel where you say, I may not have the same exact sin, but I am just as capable and just as broken. And I, I am only righteous because Jesus Christ has made me righteous. So if that's you, if, if you have that person in your life, or if you are that person, first of all, if you are that toxic person in, in all honesty and humility, I, I beg you turn away, stop it, repent. The only way you will have freedom in life is not by manipulating, controlling, abusing any of these things and, and denying it. That's the hardest part is the plausible deniability of it. That the, the stories Gary describes in the book so much, especially that husband manipulating the wife. And then it was like, it, it denies that there is a God who sees it all. It makes it so that only the people who could witness it, if they didn't witness it, then it never happened. It's the tree falling in the forest question. Did, did it make a sound? And I want to, I want to leave this on uh, a quote from the book. It, he says, uh, the highest human life is a life surrendered to God above everyone and all things. When I want anyone to focus on pleasing me, I am acting like an anti-God, the antichrist, if you will. I am asking them to respond to me like they should respond only to God. If that is you, I call you to repent in, in utter, I'm begging you to repent in, in humility don't go on doing that. You, you are fooling yourself if you believe that you can continue to control the world around you, that you can continue to harm the people in your life. God loves you. Trust in him to take that shame. Trust in him to cover you, to give you that new identity. You don't have to hide it anymore. The more that you are free in Christ, the more you are free to be vulnerable and I'm telling you, there is nothing more freeing than being able to be authentic and vulnerable to people. And covered by the blood of the lamb. Yeah, covered by the blood of the lamb. Guys, we love you so much. We're going to say it every time because we do. We're praying for you even if we don't know you by name. If you guys want to reach out, if you need prayer, or you just need to tell your story, you know where to reach us, but we're going to tell it to you again like we do every time. What's our email address, honey? It is feedback at alloflifeshow.com. Look up um, on Instagram at alloflifeshow. Same Facebook. thing on Twitter at alloflifeshow. Mm-hmm. Facebook facebook.com slash all of life show next week at this time we will be packing up to head to maui and we're hoping to take one of our mics on the road and do a little beachside podcast yeah. if you know what i'm saying yeah so we'll see how that goes um and guys we really appreciate the feedback you have been leaving on itunes it's such a blessing we yeah. have people listening from the uk from uh, from germany thailand Oh yeah, Thailand. Yeah. That's awesome. The country of Pennsylvania. Uganda, it, the country of Pennsylvania. It is my it country is crazy. of origin. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for listening. We love you and we will see you next time.